Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Our interest here this morning will be on verses 14 through 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. And just for context, I'll start reading at verse number 12. Uh, one of the ways we glorify God is by honoring Jesus Christ. And the way we honor Jesus Christ is that we love one another. Uh, we glorify Christ by uh, honoring Christ in the way that we deal with one another. And this is, has, has been the author's focus. This is the practical application that the author is making in regard to knowing the promises of God, knowing Christ and his person and his work, there should be a response, a response, a congregational, a congregational response to that saving work in God's promise. This is what he's been emphasizing. And he will continue to emphasize even here in our verses here this morning. So look with me at verse 12 as I start reading here the word of God. Therefore. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or un unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought, sought it with tears. This is the word of God. We'll see here this morning two things, two primary things that we uh, have a duty. We have a duty. Uh, toward God, toward one another, and there's a danger. There's dangers uh, in this 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 Christian race, in this this Christian race that we're we're on uh, for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's look at our duty first. Our duty first in verse number fourteen, we see here that we are to pursue peace. Look at verse number 14 with me. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one 
will see the Lord. We're to strive for peace and holiness. Striving for peace has to do with our relationship with one another. Being holy has to do with our relationship with God. Peace and holiness are linked. If you're walking in peace with one another, you'll be dealing with sin in your life and you will be helping others to deal with sin in their life as well. Both of these, peace and holiness, are linked. Peace is a horizontal aspect of our life. Holiness is the vertical aspect of our life and our relationship with God. And look closely at verse 14. Notice that the author says, strive. This is a command. It is an action that must be continuously aimed at. It is plural. This, this word is plural, meaning that each professing believer is responsible for obeying this. This word strive, is a, it's an aggressive word. It's, it's aggressive. It, it is a word that was used of a hunter who, for, who pursues his prey with aggression and diligence, with singleness of mind and purpose. A, a, a hunter that is doing what is necessary in order to obtain the prey that he's after. It's, it's an aggressive word. Uh, it, 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 it is to, in a sense, it, it, it has been used to hunt, to pursue, to chase down. It's, it's also used as soldiers chasing after the enemy to, 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 to chase down, to follow after, to run after. This word is even also used of uh, to persecute someone. It's used of, of the Jews persecuting Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 16. It's used of Saul before his salvation encounter with Jesus Christ. It's used of Saul in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, and Acts chapter 22, verse 5. This, this, this word, this, it, this, is not a, this is not a passive command that we're given here. Strive. It's aggressive. This is, this is something we must do with, with our, all our being and every believer must do this. Too many times people rely upon the elders and their pastors to do the work of reconciliation, the work of looking after the souls of others. We'll see <laughs> this is all of our responsibility. Strive. We're to strive. These believers are to, to strive. They are commanded to strive. And the author applies this strong term to these believers in our relationships with others. Believers are to strive for what? 
for peace. For peace with everyone. Psalm 34 captures this idea. Psalm 34 and 14 captures this when it says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 17 speaks of wisdom in this way. It says, her ways, talking about wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. We're to pursue peace. If we're walking in wisdom, we're to, we're, we are striving to walk in peace. To strive for peace is wisdom itself. To seek the opposite of peace To seek the opposite of peace is not wisdom. The opposite of peace is what? Discord. Conflict. Division. Dissension. Hate. Agitation. Hostility. Envy. Competition. Seeing yourself as superior over others. This is opposite of striving for peace. We're to strive and be at peace, the writer says, with everyone. Those who are easy to get along with, those who are difficult to get along with, we're, we're, to, we're to take action. We're to strive. We're to take action in order to maintain harmonious relationship with one another. We're to take action. Everyone who is a believer is to do this. Right? It's saying that that this is how you and I are to live. We're to live continually pursuing peace, particularly with our brothers and sisters. We've seen that relationships are vital in the body of Christ. It's vital because we are in union with one another in Christ. We are in union with each other in Christ. We are drawn to Christ and we are drawn to one another. So it is important that we pursue peace with one another. With everyone, the writer said. This is what we're to continually do. We we need, can I say this? We need one another. To walk around and act like we don't need one another is contrary to being in the body of Christ, to being unified in the body of Christ. It's to not, it's in a sense to live in a way that doesn't honor Jesus Christ. Dr. Phil Newton said this, quote, relationships are vital to the exercise of the Christian faith. He asked, apart from a healthy relationship within the community of faith, the church, you cannot live the Christian life, 
end quote. There is a plague of individualism in our culture. And individualism, you, you, you got your own YouTube and Facebook and you got your own Twitter and your own all Instagram where you promote yourself. Individualism. The writer here is urging something else. We're to be different. We're to, to be intentional in our relationships with one another. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, he said, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You and I need each other. We need each other's exhortation. We need each other's encouragement in order to endure the Christian race, which is, which is difficult. It's difficult. Running a Christian race is difficult. Each of us as individuals, we have been chosen to, to run uh, a specific path by God. And, and it can be difficult. There are difficulties and challenges that we'll come across. And we, so we need each other. This is why uh, uh, we are unified together in Christ with one another, because we need one another. Paul told us in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of, guess what? Peace. This is, a, this is especially important when, it, when, when we're going through tough times, when, when others in the congregation are struggling. It, this is especially important during those times. Because we're not to turn our back, as we'll see. We're not to turn our back or be indifferent or to, I'm, I'm washing my hands of you. It's, it's, it's important. We've seen already in verse number one that sin clings so closely to us even as believers. This means that we're going to sin against one another. There are going to be times as we rub against one another that we're going to sin against each other. And we can't completely avoid conflict. But the writer says we must strive for peace. We must resist resorting to unbiblical methods of handling conflict. We, not, we must not be selfish or argumentative, harsh, childish, petty, seeking revenge, verbally attacking others, assaulting others, gossiping, slandering, murdering, avoiding others, taking others to court, all of this can have a negative added, a negative uh, impact upon others. It, it, it can lead to, 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 to negative consequences in the congregation. 
So we, we must strive for peace. Striving for peace doesn't mean that there, once again, that there won't be con uh, conflict. There, uh, striving for peace might mean that there needs to be confrontation. It might require that we have a hard conversation with others. It, 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 most importantly, it requires that we are in a position to be ready to forgive one another, no matter what the offense is. We're to strive for peace. We're to strive for peace by remembering that God has made peace with you and I who are believers at the expense and at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ. Con uh, uh, conflict, it can be an opportunity. It can be an opportunity to remember that it is God to follow. Whatever difficulty we encounter, whether outside of ourselves, whether in inside, whatever comes into our lives, even if there's conflict among one another, that arises because the sovereign hand of God has allowed it. And it's an opportunity. What is God doing? We've seen that God is working, and we'll see here later, that God is working out in us his holiness. He, he, when, when God disciplines us, when he allows us to be confronted with the reality that perhaps we are in sin and this sin that's leading us into conflict, uh, into conflict, it's an opportunity to glorify God by dealing with it. By dealing with it's an opportunity to glorify Christ and so and show that the grace that we have in Christ is sufficient by dealing with it, not avoiding one another. This is how we glorify God. This is how we glorify Jesus Christ. And the grounds of peace that we have with one another has come. Through Jesus Christ, our union with him, because we have peace with God through Christ, we're able to have peace with one another. Romans chapter five, verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the peace we have with God, we have peace with one another. Jesus himself called for peace with one another in Mark chapter nine, verse 50. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse nine, he says, blessed, <laughs> blessed are the peacemakers. You want to be blessed? Pursue peace. Strive for peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Christians are to be peacemakers. Christians are to be people of peace. We're, we must strive to do everything possible, everything possible without, without compromising the word of God. We, we must do everything possible without compromising God's word to bring about and keep peace. That means that we have a duty even to strive for peace with, with, uh, uh particularly with believers, but also in a, in, in a, in a, in uh, not such a strong way with unbelievers. This word is never used 
in striving for we to keep peace with 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 unbelievers. As Paul said in Romans 12 and 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, he says, be at peace with all men. Different. Different emphasis when it comes to unbelievers, because there there's a there becomes times where you won't be at peace with someone who is unbeliever. Like if you're married to an unbeliever. If you're if you're married to unbelievers, uh, it can be difficult to maintain. Peace. Especially if that unbelieving spouse is not willing to remain in the marriage. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 15. So there's there are occasions. Where it will be difficult to maintain peace and first Corinthians seven and 15, Paul ends that verse and said, we're called to be if an unbeliever desires to leave, let him leave. You as a believer are called to peace. And so we're to. Strive for peace or pursue peace. But not only that, as I said earlier, peace and holiness and sanctification is 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 linked. The writer continues in verse 14. He says, strive for peace with everyone and don't take that and out. <laughs> and is there to show us that peace and holiness is connected. Strive for uh, strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, or as the NASB puts it, and the sanctification. We're to run after peace. We're to run after holiness. We're to pursue peace with everyone. We're to pursue holiness as well. This is not a a, a casual, again, this is not a casual approach to holiness. It's an it's an all it's an active all out pursuit of continually running after holiness, chasing it down. And so what, what kind of holiness is the writer speaking of here? He's, he's already said in verse 10 of chapter 10 that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So positionally, we are sanctified. Positionally, we are now holy and righteous before God. Positionally, we are justified before God. We are made fit for God's presence because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And we, if we believe that by faith, this is the writer here is not talking about Pursuing being right with God for salvation or justification. Justification is something that a Christian is we're not to pursue that. But according to verse 10, look at verse number 10. It says, talking about those who are believers, who are treated as sons. Chapter uh, this uh, verse number 10 of, of chapter 12 here says for uh, talking about earthly fathers, for they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, 
discipline us for our good, that we may share, notice, his holiness. This, this is, this, God is working in you and I to make us holy in a practical sense. He, he make it, he, he is working in a practical sense to, to make it possible for us to share in his holiness. And how does he do, how does he do that? He brings discipline into our lives. Discipline, which, uh, brings about the process of sanctification, uh, the, the, the working out of our salvation in Christ. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. We are to work out our soul salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do his perfect pleasure. We're to work out our salvation, and at the same time, it is God who is working in us to do his will and pleasure. This is progressive sanctification. This is practical holiness. And this is this is not a secondary work of grace. This is not something that is secondary. You're saved. And then there is a, a point where you become fully submitted to God. No, it's not what he's. This is not a secondary work of grace. This is the necessary result of our salvation. This is the this is the this is the necessary result of our positional sanctification or our union with Christ. This is what the writer is referring to here. If you are saved, if you're saved, you're to, you, you will be, this is, this is, this word is a noun, peace is a noun. Your life will be characterized by that of the pursuit of peace and that of striving for holiness. But this is how we we are to live the Christian life. We're to strive for a heart and an inward uh, inward reality and a life outwardly that conforms with God's standard of, of purity and holiness. This is this is what we're to be doing. We're, we're to desire to be holy. Dedicated. To God with every part of our lives, every aspect of our lives. This is what we're to be striving for, that, that every part of our life is offered up to him. Romans 12 and one says, Paul, looking back upon the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that he has laid out from chapters one to 11 and in, in chapter 12, based upon that, he, he based upon that, he appeals to, to, to that, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies because of what God has done, because of the mercy God has shown to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Present your bodies, all that you are as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reason, which is your spiritual worship. It's something we're to strive to do with all that we are. This is not legalism or morality following certain rules. 
outwardly conforming to rules, outwardly conforming to rules, which leads to pride, feeling good about ourselves and thinking that we're better than others. This is what legalism leads to. It's not antinomianism where you just live is by the grace. I've been saved by grace so I can live any kind of way I want to. No, this is this is a we're to actively pursue holiness because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And what is to be our motivation? We saw it already in verse two. The motivation is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is our motivation. Motivation is 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 seeing Christ who he is and the work that he has accomplished on our behalf and, and living in light of that, letting that be our motivation, letting that compel us to live righteously before a holy God. And this is important. Why, why is it important? The writer goes on, he says, without which no one will see the Lord. Striving for holiness is non-negotiable if you're a believer. People who earnestly seek holiness demonstrate that they're true believers. And as such, he says, will you, the implication is you will see the Lord. If this is what you strive, if you strive, if you're striving to align yourself with God's will, in your life on a daily, on a minute by minute, on a, on a second by second, on a daily basis, the writer says, you have assurance that you will see the Lord. But if you're not doing this, you don't have assurance. If you're living, if you're striving after peace, if you're striving after holiness, you, uh, or sanctification, or, 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 or yielding to the the molding hand uh, of, of your loving heavenly father, you prove yourself to be a child of God who believes and lives according to what God has already done for you in Christ. And the person who turns away from Christ, remember these believers are tempted to, there are some who are tempted to turn away from Christ and go back to living under the old covenant. The person who turns away from Christ and chooses to live an unholy life has no assurance of seeing the Lord. So we must examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And God, you and you say, why, why this warning? God uses warnings to keep us from falling away. God uses warning because believers respond to warning. Believers respond to warning those who don't believe don't respond to warning believers hear hear warnings and they're stirred up to respond and we're to do this there's a danger that there's a there's there's a danger look look at verse number 15 there's a danger. Don't be bitter. Verse 15, as you pursue peace and holiness, the writer says, see to it. <laughs> this is an interesting 
phrase here. See to it or seeing to it. It is first, this implies that this is a present ongoing work. This seeing to it or seeing to it. It's a present, it's an ongoing work. And the idea of this, this, this phrase here, the idea is the idea of oversight. The, this word is, is used, the noun version of see to it is used, is translated bishop. So the writer is saying that his see to it, and he goes on, he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. He, he, what he's doing, he is strongly urging them to, to care for and protect. That's what a, the, the, the bishops, the, the, the overseers of the church care for and protect the flock. The writer is saying believers are to have a similar attitude, all believers among one another, see to it, care for and protect the community of God's people. How? By seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We have a responsibility, each of us, to watch out for one another. This implies that there is no long ranger attitude to be in the congregation. There's no hands-off approach. There's some certain certain people I will pursue or strive for or, or work with. No, nah, it's no, nah, it's not this. It's not writing people off. And as I said earlier, and oh, I, I'm giving up on them. This is to be something that is ongoing. All are responsible to see that no one in the congregation comes short of the grace of God. And we have to know here, the grace of God, it doesn't fail. God's grace accomplishes what God intends for his grace to accomplish in our lives. We can, God's grace, what did Paul, what did God tell Paul? My grace is sufficient. God's grace doesn't fail, but we can fail to take advantage of God's grace. We can fail to take advantage of the grace of God. These believers there can, there can be believers who fail to appropriate and appreciate God's grace, especially when times get difficult, especially when there's persecution, especially when God's disciplining hand is squeezing and, and molding and is coming against the rough spots in your life. And and you're and it's becoming difficult for you. <laughs> we we can we can fail to appreciate God's grace in those times. And so the congregation as a whole, when we see that, we must be vigilant and careful to assist those of us who have stumble in weakness, or who is at the point or at at, at 
or who is at a point of, 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 of stumbling because of what they're going through, we, we must be careful and, and, and vigilant to ensure that those individuals do not miss out on sharing fully in God's grace. Why? Why is that? Look at what the writer goes on and says. That no, that he says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. This phrase here is quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, and it is the author is using it to illustrate how bitterness corrupted Israel in the, in the wilderness and led to discouragement and idolatry. They failed to trust God. They had seen his wonderful works and God was with them in marvelous ways, doing great wonders. And they failed to trust in him, to trust in his promises, to trust in his presence with them. Deuteronomy 20, 29 and 18 says this, it says, beware at least there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today. You get the emphasis? Listen to what he says. Beware, lest there be among you. This is Deuteronomy 28, 19. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is in the process of turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. This is Deuteronomy 29 and 18. Failing to appropriate God's grace, God, for us today, God's promises in Christ, the, the promise of God's presence with us, in Christ, the, the failing to, to appropriate God's grace, all that God has blessed us with in Christ during times of persecution and suffering can lead to bitterness that will be manifested through actions and words. Bitterness can come when somebody sins against you, when things don't go your way. Don't go the way that you want. When you're angry at God, when you're living in sin and, and are suffering the consequences of living in sin. These are just some of the reasons people can become bitter. And, and, and the author is saying, look out. We're to be on the lookout for those among us who have become or perhaps are becoming Bitter. Why? Look at what the author goes on and says. And by it, many become defiled. Once bitterness surfaces in an individual, in a relationship, 
in a marriage relationship, in a family, in a congregation. Once a bitterness surfaces in the congregation, it's hard to contain. It's hard to contain the effects of bitterness. The writer says, and by it, many become defiled. People who develop attitudes and actions that flow from bitterness will eventually contaminate and poison the congregation. Such individuals can act like a poisonous weed that that comes in and corrupt and devastate relationships around them. Many people, the writer says, can become damaged, discouraged, and led astray by bitter people, especially in a small church, where it's easily, where in a, in a small church, in a big church, there's, there, the chances are that that there's 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 relationships that that there are people that you're not in contact with at times. But in a small church. In a small church where relationships are intimate. This is particularly dangerous. They can lead to divisions and schisms. And and this is one of the things that God hates. Proverbs chapter six says. God hates six things and he it included in the six things that God hates. It, it, it includes one who sows discord among brothers. So are you bitter? Are you resentful? About something or someone? You need to deal with it. You need to to deal with it. So don't be bitter. Don't be godless. Verse 16. That no root of bitterness sprang up and caused trouble. Verse 16. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Bitterness, a bitter person is a poisonous person who, if they, they, they continue to go in that, that way, they're godless like Esau. Esau is an example of a person who acted uh, immorally. He acted in a godless manner. He, he was a person who failed to appropriate God's grace by wasting the opportunity that he had. In a sense, he despised the promises of God. All that mattered to Esau was immediate gratification. Uh, all that mattered to him was his selfish desires, getting what he wanted. He married foreign women. And he, he indulged himself in, in the things of the world. Remember, he sold his own birthright for a bowl of food. And it's revealed that he really despised the covenant promise of God. This was God's covenant promise uh, to uh, as the 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 elder son. The birthright was his according to the covenant promises of God. And he despised that. 
what was more important to him wasn't what God promised. It was that he was hungry. It, it was it was what his flesh wanted. He bartered his privilege privileges as the eldest son for for one meal. And it showed that he was senseless. It showed that he had no 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 sense of spiritual value for himself. And guess what? For his descendants. He squandered the birthright, which not only impacted him, but impacted those who came after him. He didn't care for that. Verse 17, for you know that afterward, says, the writer is, is, is implying to these readers at the beginning of verse 17, he says, he says, what follows is a, this is well known to you. This is a well known fact that the readers would not question. He says, for you know this, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau wept when he recognized that he had squandered his birthright. He wept, but he didn't repent of what he had done to God. He wept that he lost it, and he, he, he wept that he lost his birthright, but he didn't repent that he despised the promises of God. And so as I close, this, this, this is an appeal. This is important. This, this, is a, this is important work for the congregation to do, to pursue peace, to pursue holiness, to ensure that no root of bitterness sprang up because of the threat of apostasy. The threat that someone in our in this congregation could fall away from the grace of God that is available in Christ. And I'm not talking about someone who is saved and, and losing their salvation. That's not what the author is referring to. We uh, particularly if you're a believer, eventually you respond to warnings. You do respond and depend, you will respond and depend upon the grace of God after much pressure. But this is also implies that there are those who are in the congregation who profess to be believers. And they're really not believers. And, and deliberately turning away from Christ and the blessings that we have in Christ. And desiring to live off the grace found in him to despise is to despise him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Verse number 4. The writer has already warned. There are those who give the appearance of being believers. And so if someone is living in sin and giving over to the desire of sin, we're to go after them, we're to pursue them. 
Because look at the warning. Verse four, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Remember that we said that this was uh, someone who professed to be believer and they're they're in the congregation. They're coming to church. They're taking communion. They're singing the songs. They're hearing the word preach. They profess to be a believer. And verse number five says, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. They see God working in the lives of others in the congregation. They see God answering prayer. They see God strengthening uh, others. They see God producing a heart of love for him and, and, and love for other believers. In, in, in the, they see that. Verse 6, and then have fallen away. They turn away. They leave the church. He says to restore them again to repentance. He's, it, it, it's impossible to do this, he says. To restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. They're, they're, they're just, they simply never responded. They never responded with a true heart with what God was doing. Just like Esau. And so the warning comes. And they never take heed. This, to me, is the most important part of what the author has written in Hebrews thus far. Because it implies and it points to the duty that we have to one another. It's important. I don't care if you don't like it. It's here in the scriptures and it's important. Our relationship to one another is important. Why? Because Christ died for the body. Christ died for the body. And some people don't like warnings. They don't like to hear warnings. But warnings are important because they turn us back to the straight path, the straight path that we're to be running. So as I close, let us take heed to God's word and, and, and see the blessing of the one another that we're commanded to do in Scripture. Pursue peace. Love one another. Admonish one another. Show care and concern for one another. Love one another. How we're to run the Christian race. How we're to strengthen drooping hands. How we're to strengthen weak knees. This is how. <laughs> 
This is how we're to do it. We're to strive for peace. Strive for holiness. Ensure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness sprang up and caused trouble. That no one is sexual and moral or godless. Live godly like Esau. This, this is how we do it. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this warning and thank you for the practicalness of your word. We are troubled and uh, troubled with remaining sin uh, that so easily clings to us. And we need to be reminded time and time again of the truth of your word and the responsibility that we have toward one another in Christ. Because sin is right there at each moment, right before we relate with one another, while we are fellowshipping with one another. Sin is right there, ready to take advantage. And so, Father, help us, help us to, to remember the, the, the responsibility and, and the possibility that we have living together in community, in Christ, this responsibility and possibility that we have that the world has no idea of. All they can do is sit back and, and wonder how it is that we're able to do what we're doing. And even as we live together in a uh, and and fellowship to one, with one another in the in the local congregation we even have unbelievers that are among us who see what we how we are living our lives together and so it is important even not just to the world outside of the church but the world the people that are in the world in the church it is important that we live a life that honors Jesus Christ in our homes. And when we come to church, we need your grace to do that. We need your help to do that because this honors Jesus Christ. And so we look to you. We ask this for the sake of Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.